1: To This week's edition of getting in a college coach conversation. My name is Ian Fisher. I'm going to be your host for today and we're recording this on July 23rd. It's going to be July 30th by the time you're able to listen to this and we're getting to the sort of dog days of summer and starting to think about the beginning of school again in the fall. Um, We have a really exciting show lined up for you today. A couple of our colleagues from within the education team at Bright Horizons College Coach will be here to talk about how to approach the common application essay and some of the ways that you can plan to pay for college in installments in the fall. So you want to stick around for those two sessions. But before we get there, we want to bring another sort of coach uh, to the conversation. Um, One of my colleagues, Anka Sloat, is joining us today. And Anka is a director of learning and development. That's right. Okay, got it right. Um, with our learning services division, with with Bright Horizons, and I'm really excited to welcome Anka to the show. Hi, Anka.
2: Hello, Ian.
1: It's good to see you. It's great to have you here. And so I referred to you as a coach, and you actually did some coaching with me a couple of years ago because you are a certified coach using the Clifton. Strengths. Am I saying that correctly in terms that is, of what you're that
2: is correct? I am a certified Gallup strength coach. So Gallup, the organization many of you probably aware of, does a lot of research, a lot of reporting, mm-hmm. data analysis. They own and um, administer the strength finder personality type assessment. And I am a certified coach helping people understand their talents and their strength a little bit better.
1: That's right. And and you tried to help me better understand myself and you did as 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 good a job as anybody could do wow. I still am trying to figure it out um but we're not necessarily bringing you on the show today to talk about my strengths we could save that for maybe another episode but to talk about this particular I would say tool um system for assessing individual strengths and there are a lot of different things out there that people use when they want to look at what That's do true. I have to offer what's my career path look like um, I really like the Gallup Strengths Finder a lot. Um, and it really resonated with me. And I, I wonder if you could speak a little bit to the general sort of structure of the strengths finder um in terms of both the inputs and then the outputs, what comes sure. back to the, the individual.
2: Yes, I'd be happy to. Yes. Great. You can argue I, that I am converted, but I'm, I'm trying to speak as objectively as I can. And you're exactly right, Ian. There is a ton of personality assessments out there. Probably many of you are aware of uh, Myers-Briggs and, and right. several others. What I personally really like about Strength Finder is that it focuses on exactly what the word says on our strength. So often when we look at ourselves, right, we look at weaknesses and we try to fix ourselves and we try to where do we need to get better? And Strength Finder is really putting this on its head to say, here is what naturally is given to us in regards to talents, what comes easy to us, what energizes us. And let's lean into those talents, turn them really into strength to become the best self that we can be.
1: That's right. And and I think one of the things, I mean, we'll get to this a little bit later on, uh, potentially in the conversation. One of the terms that you sort of um, really inspired me to use more often is instead of thinking about weaknesses, we think about our lesser strengths, Right? right. So we have our our top strengths, which are the things that are really sort of fluid and easy for us to use. We go to them often. They're the first tools we reach for in the toolbox when we're um, working through a problem. And then we have other strengths that maybe we don't use as frequently, but we don't necessarily consider them to be weaknesses. We're still working on improving those things. And I think that language was really helpful for me. Can you speak a little bit to that sort of concept of strengths being you know, coming in different sort of doses um, across a particular person and how that person can leverage that information.
2: Yes. Yeah. So as you said, maybe I'll, I'll take a moment just to talk a little bit about the technicality of or, or
1: the, the yeah.
2: assessment, right? Because you set the top and then the, the lesser strength. So once someone takes the assessment, you can either get your top five. There's a total of 34, or you can take the assessment to get all 34. I usually recommend that people start with their five because five doesn't sound like a big number, but I actually think it, it is. is. Yeah. To, to really embrace and lean into uh, our, our top five and really make them our own. But then, exactly to your point, then there isn't a cutoff to say, and now all the other 29 are weaknesses, no, right. they're lesser strength, things that maybe don't come as natural to us. And just to use an example, speaking of myself, my higher strength, are in what's considered relationship building. So I enjoy, I get energized by interacting with people and particularly in smaller groups and one-on-one. Someone else may have a top strength in the area of executing. So they get enjoyment, they get energized by getting things accomplished. They're the ones to always raise their hand first and say, hey, I wanna do this. I wanna get this done. They're the list makers. Let me tell you, I'm a list maker too. But once I've made the list, I don't look at it. But there's lots of people who look at the list and that is what motivates them to actually check the things on their list off. And so there are just these differences. It doesn't mean that I can't get things done, but it's not necessarily my initial driver or I have to build a relationship first. That is what energizes me to work on something to get something accomplished.
1: Yeah and there are there are, i think four different categories of the strengths uh right and um just sort of seeing how you know you sort of pull from those different categories within your top 5 and then if you do get all 34 you can see sort of where some of your top strengths tend to be i think that's really really informative and just awareness is really helpful to say, okay, these things are easier for me. These other things maybe are a little bit more challenging. And so I can be more intentional in terms of working in that space, right? So relationship building for me is not one of my top categories of strengths. I have more of a strategic set of strengths are at the top end. Um, And so that means that when I'm in a situation where relationship building is essential, I'm working harder in that space and aware of that to help Compensate for potentially that being a lesser strength than than another one that I might have. Um, I want to talk a little bit about sort of the the process of taking this assessment because it's a really unusual test in that a lot of the I wouldn't even call it a test. It's just sort of you know describe how you feel on this, and so you're right. more or less and. The context, I think, for the questions is sort of up to the person who's taking it. Are you thinking about yourself at home? Are you thinking about yourself at work? Are you thinking about yourself in relationship to your friends? Um, can you speak a little bit to that uh, process of actually asking the questions and how respondents use those?
2: Yeah, I'd be happy to. Yes. And and I love that you just said, let's not call it a test because there's no right, right. or wrong. That is That is right. very important. And so you're exactly right. There is a series of questions that you are asked to respond to what resonates more with you, this answer or that. And then there is a range where where you sort of kind of fall. And what Gallup says is find a space where you can be uninterrupted for about 45 minutes. I don't think it takes quite that long, but people should be in a space where they can focus and pay attention to. At the same time, you shouldn't overthink it and just rather quickly respond to um, how you, right? What what resonates, as I right. said, with you more than, than whatnot. I, I sometimes hear from people that say, gosh, it was so hard. I, I didn't know I was somewhere in the middle, but that's exactly who you are or that tells right. us something, right? If, if you actually select the middle. So again, it's important um, to say it's not a test. There is no right or wrong answers here. It's really an assessment where our talents and our strengths fall. And so the the more relaxed, I guess I would say you are, the less uninterrupted. I think the more accurate the result comes up. And often, I mean, the majority of time when I meet with people, they say, how did they do this? What kind of sorcery is that? It was, it was me to the T or it created so much clarity about things that I sort of kind of knew about me anyway, but to now have that language and to now get more clarity on, on what these things actually are, give it a name, has been very helpful for people.
1: Yeah. It's it's um I think, you know, I've taken a lot of different kinds of assessments or maybe even something as silly as a buzzfeed quiz, right? And you can kind of tell as you're taking these tests what the questions are pointing you towards. So you can kind of think, okay, I, I feel like if I answer in this way, it's going to lead me towards the the result that I, I'm looking for. I want to end up categorized in a particular way and so I'm going to do that. And this approach I think both because people tend to be unfamiliar with the strengths as named until after they've taken the assessment, and because there's no clear way to see a link between what question is being asked and how they're going to fit in those strengths, means that you can really naturally respond to them without being worried about being boxed in in a particular way or or trying to drive the answer in a particular direction. And that's one thing that I really liked about this. When I do a Myers Briggs, I know what all the different Myers-Briggs types are. And I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to kind of answer it in this direction because mm-hmm. I want to be pushed towards that INTJ, right? Or, or whatever, you know, the, the assessment is that I'm looking for. Um, now, we've used this in a professional setting, right? We've done this um, within our team at College Coach, and it's been very helpful for us to understand whose strengths fit in different ways and especially how to build teams because you can put people with different kinds of strengths together together and then they can work on a task in a really interesting and exciting and complementary way. Um, can you speak a little bit to whether this is something that is often used for younger students, maybe in high school, maybe in college, um, and, and what sort of the, the research is on, on that?
2: Yeah, yeah. So actually a fairly recent development is that a lot of university and colleges now use the assessment for their student population And um, I know of several institutions and actually the Gallup website shares uh, some of the some some stories. There's some (laughs) video testimonials there because the organizations say it it tells our student body so much about who they are. Again, what energizes them, right? What their natural tendencies are. And it helps them in. organizations maybe that they get involved with on campus student organizations what what have you and it can also inform uh you know a a little bit more give them more insight in in who they are and I think it's interesting because um maybe for younger people I should speak for myself when I was a teenager I wasn't always maybe super happy with who I was or who I thought I was. And so I think getting some clarity even even early on or during these very important developmental years, I think can be really helpful just to get again, some clarity on why is it that that what my friends were doing really bothered me or why am I drawn to X, Y, and Z? Why am I drawn to know this particular uh, subject, right, or, or what type of type of study, what, what have you. So I think it can be really, really helpful. I do yeah. want to um, uh, say here a, a point of caution that StrengthFinder should not be used to identify like an ideal ca- career or an ideal job. Right. And Gallup right. actually feels really strongly about this, and then I believe that too, they don't have a list to say, if you want to be a successful teacher, you need to have X, Y, and Z strength. If you want to be a top-notch salesperson, yes, it's it's the opposite. Our talents, our strength can inform how we potentially might teach, right? right. Do we lead more with our relationship-building strength, or do we lead more with our strategy where we're, it, it just comes natural to us to learn, and then hopefully that enthusiasm right, gets then directed towards our students, um, mm-hmm. And so I feel very strongly about that. So it's not, it shouldn't be used to say, okay, let me take the assessment and then I can figure out what my perfect career might be. But it informs, it could really inform, yeah, I should find a job where where I have an opportunity to interact and engage with people all the time or I where that's right. I have access to data or information,
1: what have you. I think that's right on. It's It's not something that I think gives you the destination, but it gives you a sense for how you're going to walk that path and what you're going to draw upon as you go through it. Um, And one of the things that I was really excited by in the conversation that you and I had when we were doing that strengths coaching session was the concept of the balconies and the basements. So for each strength that you might have, It has a balcony, which is sort of the best expression of that strength. And it has a basement, which is the not so great expression of that strength. And just for example, you know, one of my top five is command. And so command is a strength that puts you in a position to be a leader, to, you know, get people together, to make sure that things are organized. That has a very clear balcony, but it also has a basement, which is this sort of need to take charge and to speak up and to be a person who is responsible, even in a case where it might not necessarily fit. Now, that would have been something that would have been great for me to know in college. Um, I didn't learn it until I was, you know, in my early 30s, but it's exactly that kind of thing where... I think having some awareness of your strengths and what those balconies and basements might be can really help you to figure out um, how to engage with others and how to engage with projects. Um, So I I love this thing. I think, I think it's really, really terrific. Um, Are there any things that like, you know, someone can go and take the assessment? You can find it online. I think there's a fee associated with taking it, but they had a big discount on it fairly recently. Um, the result is awesome. You can read your specific sort of, um, results on that strengths finder, which I would highly recommend if you're interested in this, you take advantage of that. Are there some things that you've learned, um, just as sort of final thoughts here through the coaching experience and through, you know, being this certified strengths coach, are there elements of this that you think are really helpful for people to be aware of if they're considering taking the assessment?
2: Yeah, just just a few things I would say exactly reiterate what you said. Take advantage of all the information that Gallup gives you after you take the assessment. If you're still someone like me who likes paper print it out or save it mm-hmm. somewhere, really read through the reports and the the and. And with that though, feel free to cross things out that don't speak to you. I mean, it is a bit yeah. of a machine, right? It is a it is a, is a is a robot behind the scenes that puts it all together. So if there are things that don't resonate, don't don't be too worried about that. And then I would say start really paying attention of how and when these talents and these strengths show up for you. So that it's not a, a point in time exercise, but that it's ongoing. Yeah. And see if there's others that have taken the assessment as well. Um, I, I see the, the strength literally and the power in in numbers because my team, we've all taken it. And so we all speak the same language and we continue to talk about it. Maybe it is something for a group of friends or or family or a club that you're, that you're a part of right now.
1: Yeah, and I, I just love this as more information gathering. I think that a lot of students will, they'll come to me and they'll say, I don't know how to figure out what I wanna study in college or even what I'm looking for. And often the first step is some knowledge of self. And this is just one more tool, I think, to engage with yourself. And at first it feels very, you you look at it and you're like, what are these strengths? What are these names? I don't know how this fits. But then when you actually start to read through the detailed feedback, you start to see how it fits you. And I just think it's it's a really, really helpful system for for self-assessment. Um, yeah, Anka, I mean, we ran out of time very quickly. Uh, I'm not surprised. But I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and, and helping some of our listeners understand uh, this the StrengthsFinder.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Of course. Uh, folks, when we come back, we are going to talk about the Common App Personal Statement. So don't go away.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: All right, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed that first segment with Anka Sloat about the Gallup Strengths Finder and some of the ways that you can use that assessment for a better understanding of yourself, your strengths, and some of the ways that you can contribute to teams and groups, both in high school and in college. Now, what we're going to talk about for this segment in our office hours is a little bit more of that self-assessment how are you thinking about who you are and what you have to offer, and especially telling a story in that space? And joining me for this discussion is my colleague, Julia Jones. Hey, Julia, welcome to the show.
3: Hey, Ian, thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
1: It's great to have you. And yeah. so, we're going to talk about probably the biggest piece, I would say, of the college application process um, or the piece that is most completely confined to the college application process. The transcript is important, of course, and your extracurricular activities are important, but the common app essay is the one thing that you only do because you're applying to college. And it probably is the most important piece because it goes to so many different schools. Um, So can you just introduce uh, to our listeners, maybe if they are new to this process or even if they're parents of younger students, ninth, 10th, 11th graders, um, they might not be familiar. What is the Common App essay?
3: Sure. Um, well, the Common Application is an application platform. It's used by, I think, 900 colleges and universities now. Um, and so it's, it's a pretty standard, you know, one application that you can use to apply to multiple colleges and universities Mm -hmm. and the essay. So the main essay is one 650 word maximum, um, kind of personal statement, um, personal essay that every college that you apply to on the common app will get. Um, and so, you know, there may be other pieces of writing that you'll have to do for a specific college, but the common app essay is the, is the, the one piece that everybody gets. That's right. Um, right? That's right. And I like to talk about, to, to use that example, kind of what you were talking about of, of the, the fact that it's, you know, it's the one piece of the application where students really get to talk in their own voice. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything else about in the application is being said about them. So I, I think that this is, you know, sort of a unique opportunity for you to, tell something about yourself in your voice.
1: That's right. And, and you just used a a few different terms to describe this one piece. And I just want to call attention to that. So Julia referred to this as a personal statement, a personal essay, the common app essay. We want to think about these things as being interchangeable. Um, This is fundamentally just an essay that is about you. It's not school specific, so it could be submitted to every school you apply to. And it might Be used for different platforms as well. So we're talking about it from the context of the common app, because as Julia pointed out, there are so many schools that are members of the common application. It's usually the first place that students go when they start to apply to college, but there still might be ways that you would use this to apply to the University of Washington using the coalition, for example, Um, or you might use an essay that you wrote for the common app for the Apply Texas application as well. So we want to sort of put that in there. Some of the advice we're going to talk about is not just for the Common App essay. This is about sort of that personal essay in general. Um, So I'll put that disclaimer out there. Um, Julia, just two days ago, I was on a webinar with our colleague, Steve Brennan. He was talking a little bit about the personal essay. And he answered a question a little bit differently than I would have on the prompts. And I wanted to get your take on this. I think this is a really interesting way of of starting. Do you have students start by looking at the prompts and thinking about where they might be able to provide an answer that's going to resonate with them and tell their story? Or do you have students start by thinking independent from the prompts, what they would like to write about, and then bring a sort of essay idea to those prompts and find the best prompt to fit the piece they've written?
3: I think like so many answers that we have these days, I think it depends. It depends um, for, yeah. <laughs> for me, I think it depends on the student, but, um, you know, I feel like It, it sometimes is a good way. I, I start more usually with more of a brain, a general brainstorming exercise. So, you know, they may have a great idea for our topic already. And so we talk, we talk about that. Um, but if not, I, I, I have students start to think about, you know, some lists of things that they may be proud of about themselves, things that they just love to do or that make them happy, um, adjectives or. Or phrases that they might use to describe themselves. Um, and then we, you know, so that's that sometimes essay topics live in those lists. And we talk a little bit about that. If they're stuck, or if, if for some students that can be a really difficult starting place to start, um, the Common App topics are a great, another great opportunity to brainstorm. And I think they are a little bit more structured. So for some students, if you need more structure, or if you really like the idea of having an actual, you know, prompt to go through, and there are uh, seven really um, detailed prompts, that can be another really good strategy. So I, I kind of use a hybrid of both, but yeah. um, but I think that uh, it's it's there, there are a lot of good ways to approach it, and I don't think there's a right way for every every student.
1: I'm, I'm glad that you answered in exactly that way because um, Steve really goes heavy toward the prompts. And, and part of what you were sort of saying about structure is that he has found in his experience that many times when students start to write without a prompt, they don't have structure. It's a little bit of an aimless sort of description of a story. They don't quite know where to drill in. And so it, it feels like this sort of blob of text and it doesn't have direction. Um, for me, I often find that sometimes when students look at the prompts first, they get boxed in to a particular kind of story and sometimes don't consider these other options. Um, and so I like that you sort of are hybridizing that by saying, mm-hmm. well, for some students, it might work to do this. For other students, it might work to do that. Um, I think it's worth noting that just within the prompts, um, there have always there's always been this one that says... Some students have a background, identity, interest, or talent. That's a lot of stuff that is so meaningful. They believe their application would be incomplete without it. If this sounds like you, please share your story. So that I've always treated that as like a choose your own adventure sort of version of the
3: prompt. I think any good essay is going to fit that question. Honestly, if you're not, if you're, if you're not doing that, telling your story, it's you're you're not, you're not writing the right. It's, it's, you got to go back and think about that. Yeah,
1: And I've always used that as sort of a fallback when I talk to students, when they say, but wait, what prompt am I writing to? I'll say, well, we can look at that later, but just so you know, there is this one prompt that allows you to just cover anything you want. Yeah. Um, and then they recently, I think just last year, added a new prompt, which is just share an essay on any topic of your choice, uh, yeah. which is another choose your own prompts kind of piece. Mm-hmm. Um, there are one, two, three, four, five that are kind of in the middle that I think are a little bit more specific. Um, And I'll just sort of summarize them as the failure essay, the challenging a belief or idea essay, the describing a problem you'd like to solve essay, the uh, accomplishment that sparked a period of uh, personal growth essay, and then a topic, idea, or concept you find so engaging, it makes you lose all track of time. Um, Are there any of those prompts that you encourage students to avoid if possible? Or do you think that these are truly sort of all fair game for students?
3: I think again, for each student, there are going to be some students where they might have three ideas for one topic. And Mm -hmm. um, some students might be looking at the one about like, wow, I've never challenged a belief or an idea, or they think they haven't. And so they're like, you know, they get stuck on that. So when I, I, I encourage students to, you know, to really go through each one of them, and really think and reflect on, uh, you know, do I, you know, is there something, it doesn't have to be a big thing. And sometimes it's the smaller examples that are the better essays anyway, but I, right. I don't, I don't think, I think they all really are, you know, great questions for the right uh, the right student and for the right topic. So, so it's not, I don't, you know, there's no one topic that I would steer away from within those, within the common app. Like there are obviously, you know, some topics that maybe are a little overdone, but, um, but I think within each one, I think you can, you can make a really interesting and compelling story. Um, if, if that, if it relates to you.
1: And so let's say we're talking to a student where we find they're really struggling with just getting started writing on a thing outside of the context of the prompts. And you want to help them to work on this project using those prompts as a as a tool. Um, is there a particular sort of exercise that they could take to sort of assess the fit of their essay or, or their ideas or their life, I guess, for each of those prompts? Um, something that you might encourage students to do on their own when they're trying to figure out what the best opportunity for them is going to be?
3: Sure. Well, I think what I, I sometimes will encourage students to do is think about, you know, if you have an idea or something, an example or something, because I think there, for me, a good essay kind of has two elements to it. And so I really encourage students to be thinking about, you know, what examples from my life, what specific story can I tell that is going to, be, that you want to reveal to a college and think about it from a standpoint of does, is this something that maybe colleges aren't going to know from mm-hmm. other parts of my application? So, um, because I think that's very important too. Sometimes students get caught up in, I have to write about, you know, and it's something that is connected in another way to an activity or, and you don't, um, you sometimes it's not you don't have, it's not forbidden, or it's not something that you shouldn't do, but it's also not something you have to do. Right. And, you know, so I really encourage them to think about, um, you know, what stories are you going to tell? And then what's the point? What's the message? What's the takeaway? Um, and for some students, if if they're really are struggling with that, then it's, you know, maybe write it down, you know, as if it's kind of may have that be your, you know, if you need to have a kind of a thesis statement, or, or my- it may not be something that you ever explicitly include in your essay, um, but I think it is something where you have to have that. So what, you know, that, you know, why is this important? What is, what do totally. you want an admissions officer to, you know, to get from, from learning about this? You can tell an amazing story, but it's got to have that, that, you know, that point in that rest, that, re- um, you know, really that resolution there. So exactly. I think that, yeah. So I, I feel like those things, those two elements, if you're in, an- you know, just brainstorming ideas, you know, take it a step further and see, okay, does this, does this point to a message? Is this something that I want colleges to know about me? And, is this something that maybe you know would be really unique and different and um, it, different from other parts of my application rather in terms of you know does this make me you know does this come out of of a, of the application or pop out
1: yeah, I think that's so what piece is just so huge, and I think it's a place where a lot of students really get stuck um, and I think it can both be um it can challenge certain kinds of cho- chosen topics. It can also be really freeing for students because I think it, in in some sense, it challenges sort of the dramatic story. So let's say something really dramatic happened to you um, where you know there's this, a lot of tension and suspense and it was just this remarkable thing, particularly unique, but there's nothing about your life that followed that moment where you behaved or interacted differently or changed sort of who you were. In that sense, there's no real so what. It's sort of like you happen to have this experience, but there's no resonance in terms of the rest of your life. The way that it's freeing, I think, is that it sort of points to students and saying, you don't have to have something that is dramatic, traumatic, that was a huge challenge or an obstacle or a setback that you overcame in order to write this essay, because the goal is to sort of zero in on that so what. You're sharing something about who you are with a college admission officer. And everyone that writes an essay has a story to tell, has some set of characteristics that they can share. They have strengths, they have talents. And so let's figure out a story that helps to shine some light on those things. Um, So we're sort of talking a little bit about topic selection. I'm realizing that we could talk for like four hours. Um, What about kind of um, just the process of reviewing and editing, I want to think a little bit about some of the ways that you engage with, you know, how effective is my essay on a first set of edits, and then who to sort of involve in the conversation. Let's speak just generally about that iterative process of writing the college essay.
3: Sure. Well, I, I think that, you know, so often students, and, and, I you know, not just students, I mean, I do this too, is, you know, when we're writing, we, we get so caught up in, okay, I'm going to write, you know, this sentence and then edit it and go on and, and you get stuck. And so yeah. I, I um, have encouraged, I encourage students, you know, in the initial draft, it's it's going to be rough, emphasis on rough draft. Yeah. Um, you know, don't you know, t- try to turn off that critic inside and just write, you know, if it means setting a timer for 20 minutes or half an hour and just writing, you know, Know, whatever comes out and it, that's getting something on that, you know, that blank page is, is sometimes, um, it's harder than you think, but that's, that's where, you know, uh, the, sometimes the magic happens too. So I think it's trying to, to get that out there. I also I tell students too, you know, Hey, don't worry about the word count just yet. You know, it's, it's, yes, you have a, a 650 word limit. Um, your rough draft is probably going to be over that. Um, uh, you know, within reason, obviously, if you you know, <laughs> right. Yes. If it's 800 words, you know, chances are. That it's there are going to be a lot of ways that you're going to be able to to really tighten that up and get it to 650. If you're on 2,000 words and there's no end in sight, please you may (laughs) need to take a step back and say, oh, maybe I'm writing about too big of a topic. So yeah, Yeah. (laughs) but but that's I think the first step is just you know don't be afraid to just put things out there, see what works, um, you know, very, very often. And I know you, and you probably had this experience too, when you're, you know, working with a student, you know, that first paragraph, that first intro, sometimes you have to write it, but often the essay sometimes is better when you get rid of it all together and start with the second, start yeah. right in that, you know, in the moment. So, but you have to write that first paragraph first sometimes.
1: That's right. Yeah. I've had to tell a lot of my students, don't feel bad. I tell, probably more than half of the students I work with, you need to cut your first paragraph. Because I think that there is, somebody somewhere wrote a book that said, you need a grabby intro with onomatopoeia. And like just, and people are like, crack, the sound of the bat echoes across the field. And you're just just like, as an admission officer, you're sort of like, I don't need this. I want to hear about you. And you're setting a a scene in a way that I might read a creative work of nonfiction. I'm reading a college essay and it's a little bit of a different project. The other thing, like in terms of edits, I think the fewest number of drafts I've ever seen from a student that I've worked with to write a personal statement from start to finish is maybe three. And he was a phenomenal writer um, and a really, really talented kid. And he still needed to go through a few drafts. So a lot of students are paralyzed by this idea that the first thing that I write is not going to be the finished product. And you really have to know that it's going to take some time. You're going to really have to work it to make it work. And I think that's really hard for especially talented students who've always turned in college or uh, English essays or history essays that have gotten A's and, you know, don't necessarily have to go through that iteration. I really, really thinking about that, I think is important. Um, What about about who to involve um, in the conversation? Um, Certainly if you're working with us, we'll help. Um, But just in general, who should students involve in their process?
3: I think it, you know that it depends on who you uh, on the student, but I think you know finding that someone that you trust, someone that knows you, you know, because I do think sometimes you know what you want to figure out is okay. Does this sound like me? Does this is does this you know you know me well as does this come across? Um, that can sometimes be a parent, but sometimes a parent may not be the best choice just because of the di- that dynamic. Um, right. Maybe it's a, a you know a trusted friend or um, a tutor or a teacher even. So um, I think it's it is really you know giving them that. Uh, giving someone who who can kind of provide that constructive feedback um and uh, you know and, and also the feedback about you know the reflect does this reflect who you are
1: That's right and yeah. and people who know you I think it's always a great place yeah. to take it um, and then maybe even somebody uh, one of my our, our colleagues said it, it can be good to sh- maybe share an essay with a person in your class who doesn't know you well at all and just ask what they're learning about you through this essay. so if you can find somebody that you both trust, but don't know particularly well, that might be a good person to to share with as well. Um, Julia, uh, there is so much more we could talk about here, but we're out of time. Um,
3: I know, I know. Hopefully there have been
1: some uh, good good tidbits for, for some of our listeners, but thanks for coming aboard to talk about this today.
3: Thanks for having me. Please take care.
1: Folks, when we come back, we are going to talk about payment plans for that fall tuition. So you won't want to miss it.
2: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at VoiceAmericaTRN.
0: You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, We've had a couple of great segments so far today. And for our third segment, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Paying for college tuition coming up here in the fall. And so to do that, I'm going to welcome my colleague in college finance who lives over on the other side of the river. We got Alex Gonzalez here on the show. Hey, Alex.
4: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: Glad to have you. Um, So we are talking a little bit about payment plans, right? Um, And I think that We've had some segments previously on the show where we've talked a little bit about these, and I, I'm always sort of surprised to hear that there are payment plans for tuition because usually when we think about it, we think about it as this bulk price that you're paying for a semester. You pay it up front, you show up for college, you get your classes, et cetera. But there appears to be another alternative to that. Um, so do you have to pay tuition up front or, or what, what do these sort of monthly payment plans look like?
4: Yeah that's a great question and and I think the reason that um a lot of families don't think about that is because it's typically not housed um in the financial aid office it's actually housed in the student accounts uh or or bursar's office so kind of where the billing and the processing go and so a lot of times we're working on the front end with scholarship offices and the financial aid, we're looking at student loans, we're kind of adding all those things together, but then we forget about, okay, when it comes for our portion, um, yeah, do we have to pay all of that up front? And and the answer is potentially no, Um, is that there's opportunities to kind of space those out through the semesters or through the quarter system. um, And and really potentially, There can be savings in that is that you might be reducing the amount that you borrow. So there's a good amount of legwork that you want to just make sure that you're looking at um, in that that budget. But It sounds like there is just this initial
1: shift from having communication about college financing with the financial aid office to all of a sudden potentially having a conversation about paying for it with a different representative on that campus. And you want to keep an eye out for who to contact in terms of those payment plans.
4: Yeah, yeah. And there's a couple of different places that you can kind of look. Um, you can go onto the college's website, uh, look at student accounts or or, or just search payment plans, mm-hmm. um, and it'll direct you to the office that you need to work with. Um, it also could be located um, through the student's portal. Um, mm-hmm. and, and this is a little bit of a shift from... Uh, the parent and student kind of working together. And now the student is enrolled and really a student. And so they're in the driver's seat. They're um, registering for classes. This is the portal that they're, you know, they might've selected their dorms um, or meal plans. And so they're in the driver's seat and, you know, they're students they're not necessarily (laughs) thinking about this right away sure um and and so there might be some steps that parents need to do to make sure that they're connected uh to that portal or have access because there is some federal um legislation that's out there the federal education uh rights and privacy act that students need to grant access to parents in order to kind of maybe manage or be in the driver's seat or at least in the passenger seat.
1: How about that? And I mean, I think that that's a good, you know, sort of reminder that the more students can take control of this process earlier on, the better off, because they will have to be responsible for certain elements of this later. So, so parents can empower their students in high school. Then when they get to college, it's on the students to make sure that they're communicating with parents and with the college. Now, as far as these payment plans are concerned, how does a family go ahead and enroll in that kind of a plan?
4: Yeah, there could be a couple of options. And I really encourage families to kind of really do the research right now because this is kind of the time um, of the year is when you start enrolling or if you're looking for the most opportunity to, or most options to spread out um, that amount, kind of, kind of maximize lowering the amount over a larger amount of time, um, you would want to enroll now versus waiting later. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, and, and what's nice about it is that you might not, you could enroll, but you might not have to figure out kind of the options or the amounts that you're planning on paying, um, before, uh, you're not locked in. So, mm-hmm. um, so that there, there might be a little bit of flexibility earlier in this process rather than later in the process.
1: Now, is there a cost associated with this? Is this something that I can just opt into and I've got this payment plan and and I'm good to go? Or is there something that I have to pay upfront in order to have access to a payment plan?
4: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So, yes. So, there might be. I I guess it depends, Mm -hmm. really. Um, Some colleges operate um, their payment plans um, internally and they might waive a fee or an enrollment fee. Um, some plans might use a, a different system that has an enrollment fee, but what's nice about it is that there are, you might pay that fee upfront and that can range anywhere, um, from $25 to a hundred dollars to be a part mm. of that plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're not getting charged interest. So, okay. so you are potentially over time saving money. Whereas if you were to go to out to a student loan or, or a, increase your student loan, that you're going to be uh, paying interest on that, on that loan. And, and essentially. Uh,
1: so you're saying there might be sort of a smaller upfront fee that enables you to use a payment plan, but that when you're using that plan, you don't actually have to pay interest on the payments that you're making towards that full tuition over the course of the semester.
4: Correct. Correct. Cool. So, so yeah, one time, and it, and it typically is a one-time fee. So it's not every time you are making payments, there's a there's a fee.
1: And you just alluded to sort of the schools can handle some of this in-house, but occasionally there might be some sort of a third party system. Is there anything to keep an eye on when there's a 3rd party system that's involved in administering a payment plan?
4: Yeah. And I I only mentioned that uh, kind of when we talked before is because some families get kind of um, a little nervous about that. They're going, mm-hmm. okay, I've been working with the college. Now I have to work with uh, this third party, you know, have already worked, worked maybe um, outside with outside student loans or private loans that have helped. Um, is it, it's just another person. And know that it is, uh, a lot of colleges uh, will partner with these organizations because of their, their platforms. It, um, really, their, their, the technology that, their, that that third party provides is more than the university could have provided in, in-house. And gotcha. so you might get some flexibility with um, electronic payments, um, notifications, other things that, that can kind of add to that value just to remind you um, that you have payments. And you, or, or what I like about it is potentially calculators that kind of really help you um, navigate what your monthly payment might look like um, to balance uh, what you could afford. Mm-hmm. Um and and what you might need to borrow,
1: I see so I mean, in, in much the same way that a you know a college contracts with a caterer to provide meals on campus, they might also contract with a payment provider because they've got the technology platform. so you don't want your professors making your sandwiches and you don't want them necessarily administering a payment plan. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, what, uh, what do you, what do you do to determine sort of the plan amount? So you referred to a plan amount, is that, um, you know, the payments that you're making in increments, um, do you have control over that or does the college have to say you're paying this amount at this rate? Um, and that's not negotiable.
4: Yeah. in in generality, there might be different options, but really okay. this is going to be focused on your campus. So, your campus is going to have a frequent ask questions, payment options, or a variety of payment plans. Now they could just have one um, where you're splicing that uh, payment plan. I've seen them at some universities is that there's a beginning of the semester, a middle of semester payment. So there really only is two one mm-hmm. um, payments, um, but it can help families that are utilizing some of their savings uh, utilizing some of their income, um, and and also waiting for that that uh, that household budget to shift from having a student at home to a student away. Right. Um, so that think about it in that sense is that it does give you a little bit of time to to change. So at minimum, it might only be two. Um, and in some cases, it could be monthly as well. Nice. Um, so it really just depends on when you start, and then also the options that the colleges have.
1: Now, do these payment plans typically take place over the period of a semester? Am I correct in assuming that's the term, or is it over the full year?
4: So that's when we start early. Is it potentially could start a month or two earlier gotcha. um, in the process? Now, if you're late to the game, um, you just might have a larger bill also, um, just kind of fielding some questions from some colleagues is that we're working and talking to families right now about a lot of this. And in some cases you might've missed that early deadline in June, uh, June, or maybe even, um, July, but you've made a deposit. So some of those de- that deposit money might actually feed into your first payment. So you might nice. see a lower payment, um, in the in the first installment of the fall. And then it gradually goes up as well, or is consistent um, throughout the, the remainder of the year.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, this is great. It sounds to me like the big takeaway for families whose students are entering college this fall is to start doing their research now to investigate what kind of payment plans are going to be available for their institutions uh, and to get on top of that right away. Do you have any sort of final advice uh, for families to pay attention to in you know, 10, 15 seconds?
4: Yeah. uh, Read the policies. So just be aware. Um, Utilize that, um, the calculator, if they don't have a calculator, uh, go to a college budget calculator or a cash flow calculator um, that, um, that to help you kind of work through um, your budget to make sure that you're meeting, meeting the, that that you can um, meet those deadlines.
1: All right, Alex, that's great. Uh, thank you so much for for coming on the show and helping talk through that with us. Wonderful. All right, folks, that does it for our episode for today. We've got another episode coming your way next week. It's going to be really exciting. We'll have uh, an admission officer from UCLA to talk a little bit about the effects of COVID on the college application season and to address some of the more recent changes that we've seen with the University of California system. Uh, We'll also talk about how students and parents can prepare for that first year of college with a good financial discussion between parents and students. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the end of July. We're off into August next week. uh, Take care uh, and take care of each other.